0: Those who say that they know him must walk as he walks Those who worship the Lord, worship in spirit obey his word then we walk in Then we walk in the darkness and the truth's not in.
1: Morning, friends, I had some technical difficulties here as I got started this morning, but hey, we got through it and uh, we're all here, we're all happy and um, glad to spend time in God's Word together uh, from uh, all the way from Maine down to um, Virginia, uh, across the ponds to two ponds. i including the Atlantic Ocean and the Mediterranean Sea, uh, all the way over to India. And uh, good morning there as well. We are in the book of Acts. We're going to be in the uh, ninth chapter today. I'm going to begin in chapter eight, though, just as a little recap on the first couple of verses uh, that are here. Uh, to kind of remind us of this character that we are going to be considering. So let's jump right in there. Uh, the end of chapter 7, we see the stoning of Stephen. Uh, and chapter 8, verse 1, picks up and says, uh, And Saul was there, Saul of Tarsus, Tarsus up in what is now modern-day Turkey, uh, giving approval to his death. Uh, That would be Stephen's death. Uh, On that day, a great persecution broke out against the church at Jerusalem, and all except the apostles were scattered throughout Judea and Samaria. The godly men buried Stephen and mourned deeply for him. But Saul began to destroy the church. Going from house to house, he dragged off men and women and put them in prison. And... uh, so we we have uh, Paul being this horrendous character who is coming against the church, uh, dragging people off. It says he drags them off, men and women, without regard, uh, and put them in prison. He was there at the stoning and the killing, really, of Stephen. He was giving approval to their death. It doesn't say necessarily that he... Um, uh, that he threw a stone, but it does say that he was there giving approval to death and that he was going after the church. And we think, oh, this character, he has to get out of the way. He's problematic. And uh, so you would think all these negative thoughts, and and we can tend to go down the, the road of negativity about people like Saul people who stand against the gospel, we need to pray for them because as we turn over to chapter nine, we are going to find that um, God can reach into the soul. God can reach into the heart. Uh, God can uh, orchestrate circumstances and events uh, to draw a person uh, into conversion. Now, I think we still have to respond. Paul responded He could have rejected, he could have kicked against the goads. We'll get over chapter 9 here in a moment and see just exactly what happens. But in this instance, we will read that Paul responded to the work of God uh, directly to Paul uh, as we get to chapter 9. But before I go to chapter 9, I want to look here for just a moment uh, at
2: what Claire has written.
1: Magandang Umaga, did I even get that close at all? That's Tagalog uh,
2: for good morning. Uh,
1: magandang, Magandang Umaga, Magandang Umaga, am I getting it close or are you laughing at me? Are you laughing hysterically? Are you rolling around on the floor laughing at me trying to say good morning in Tagalog? Uh, Maybe you are. Uh, Boker Boker Tov, I can say that. There's no problem with saying that. So, uh, and Claire's saying it's good. It's good. It works. So, there you go. You've got several languages now in which you can say good morning. Uh, Interesting to know what what that greeting might be, Uh, a morning greeting might be in India. Because I don't know. Uh, I need to learn that. I'll be going there perhaps in November, so I need to know uh, just, just what it is. Now, let's let's get over to chapter 9, uh, Acts chapter 9, and pick up here. It says, Meanwhile, Saul was still breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples. Meanwhile, we remember Philip had gone down, and there was the conversion of the Ethiopian eunuch, the, the, the head of treasury for Candace, the queen of Ethiopia. And it says, but meanwhile, Saul was still breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciple. He went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues in Damascus, so that if he found any there who belonged to the way, whether men or women, he might take them as prisoners to Jerusalem. Now, you know, one of the things that, that we sometimes do is we get confused between the temple and synagogues. There's one temple, but many synagogues and uh i i was happened to be in some different uh one uh um, version uh a, a model uh, a full scale model actually uh in nazareth the nazareth village uh giving the sense of what a Synagogue might be like some were maybe a little larger, some a little bit smaller. But basically, you walked into the center court, uh, the, the center of the the room, if you will, and all around the outside, the back, and, and the, the two sides, there were benches where people would sit and they'd listen to the reading of the scrolls uh, or listen to the dialogue, listen to the teaching. Uh, and that's what they did in the synagogues. And there was always a priest uh, over the synagogue. So Saul was breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples and and asking for letters to the synagogues in Damascus so that uh, if they found any there that belonged to the way, whether men or women, he might take them as prisoners to Jerusalem. And and you can see that there in the text. Um, I just want to look up something real fast here to share with you.
2: See if I can pull this up. There we go. Uh, That's not getting it for me here. This one will
1: do. All right, I'm going to pull this over so you can take a look just to get a sense of where Damascus might be in relationship. You see, down here is Jerusalem, up here is Damascus, just just on the border of Lebanon, modern day Lebanon. So you 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 have the sense here from Jerusalem to Damascus, and this is the area Paul has gone up into this area, uh, and is um, wanting to. Uh, be able to arrest people and wanting the the priest to know that this just very well may be happening. So it says in verse 3, as he neared Damascus on his journey, suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. He fell to the ground and heard a voice say to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Who are you, Lord? Saul asked. The response is, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting, he replied. Now get up and go into the city, and you will be told what you must do. Uh, Some of the translations will render it this way. Why do you keep kicking against the goads, or why do you keep kicking against the pricks? Why do you keep doing this, the the pricks like the pricklers? Why do you keep doing this? Um, Why do you persecute me was the the question that Jesus asked in in verse 4. You see it right there, verse four. Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? How do we know it's Jesus? Because verse five tells us when when Saul says, who are you, Lord? I am Jesus whom you are persecuting. Now, we don't know whether Paul had perhaps been witness to some of Jesus' teaching. We don't know. He may have been. Um, He may have been a, a part of the Sanhedrin uh he was uh, among the elite actually of uh the, the Jewish ruling class um we know this as you read in Philippians chapter 3 where Paul gives his pedigree uh and yes let me share this with you uh Verse 4, Philippians chapter 3, I myself have reasons for confidence to put confidence in the flesh. If anyone else thinks he has reasons to put confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, uh, a Hebrew of Hebrews in regard to the law, Pharisee, as for zeal, persecuting the church, as for legalistic righteousness, faultless. He goes on and says, this is his own testimony, whatever was to my profit among all those things, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Jesus Christ, my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things, and I consider them rubbish that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God and is by faith. That is Paul talking about his pedigree and then talking about his conversion. And we'll go back to look at this conversion. That is the result of the confrontation of Jesus here in uh, Acts chapter 9. Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Who are you, Lord? Saul asked, I am Jesus and then and then he gives this instruction verse 6. Now get up and go into the city and you will be told what you must do. The Lord is so like that, isn't he? Sometimes he he just tells us I want you to do thus and so uh and he doesn't give us all the um uh, all the details. Sometimes we want to have all the details in the Lord doesn't give us all the details. He just says, take the next step. And so that's what we have to do. And this is good for me this morning to be thinking about this the importance of uh, simply taking the next step. Uh, Cause there are just things in life to, to figure out there. There are things that, okay, I, I know what, what the end goal is, but I don't know the steps in getting there. And, uh, the Lord says, trust me, look to me. Uh, I will show you what you will do. Just take the next step. And, and maybe, friend, for you, that's, the, that's what you have to do. You have to simply take the next step. Uh, follow him. Uh, he will show you where to go. He will show you what you're to say. He will show you what you're to do. But if you stay seated, he can't do anything. You have to take the step. Now, I'm preaching full on to myself this morning here and uh, about taking the step and trusting the Lord. So we will take the step. We will trust the Lord uh, to see just exactly how he leads, and I'd encourage you to do the same thing. Now, I want to come back, though, here to this first part of uh, Acts chapter 9. Remember who this man was he was breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples. But the Lord got a hold of him. Uh, The sudden light from heaven flashing around him, a voice from heaven saying, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? I mean, Jesus now directly addressing Saul. I've already gone down the road a little bit. I don't know. Uh, We don't know whether Saul had heard Jesus. I have to think most likely he had heard Jesus, uh, and he was aware of Jesus. This is why he was so angry about Jesus. It would be interesting to see if the chosen season four anywhere puts the apostle Paul, uh, Saul of Tarsus, at all into the makeup uh, of Jesus. what will take place. We don't know whether whether Saul heard Jesus, didn't hear Jesus, but we know that he had heard of Jesus. He was aware of all the trouble that the gospel had brought to, to the Jewish sect uh, and was standing against it violently, and God got a hold of him. Now, what, what if Saul had said, well, Lord, whatever, I'm not going to follow you, I mean, do we have that prerogative? There are those who believe so vehemently in election uh, in, in the sovereignty of God that, uh, you know, everything will happen. Everything that happens is, is under God's directive. So when I sin, is that under God's directive? Or when I fail to do what the Lord wants me to do, is that the Lord's directive? What am I? What talking about is the reality there is the sovereignty of God and there is the free will of man. And the things that God determines must happen will, in fact, happen. Nothing can thwart his plan. Nothing can thwart his sovereignty. Uh, what about when you make a, a clerical error? What if you make an error in judgment? What if you make a mistake in 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 some gross error in, in estimating something, and and you have to pay the penalty for that. Is that the Lord's fault, or is that man's fault? I'm just bringing the tension of, of the reality that I believe in the Scriptures we read both about the sovereignty of God and the free will of man. And the fact of the matter is I do not believe that God's will can be thwarted, that what God wills, determines will happen, will in fact happen Uh, And that might be the case here with the Apostle Paul. Uh, Is it possible that that the Apostle Paul could have said, well, no, Lord, I'm going to keep doing what I'm doing. I'm not going to respond to you. But yet the Lord came to him with such clarity, in such a powerful way, such a demonstrative way, in this bright light. Uh, Verse 3 says, a light from heaven flashed around him, Was it like lightning? We don't know. We just know that it was a bright light flashing around Paul and that Paul had this experience and heard this voice and got these instructions. It's written for us in the text. Now let's continue on. Verse 6 says, Now get up, go into the city, and you will be told what to do. The men traveling with Saul stood there speechless. They heard the sound, but they did not see anyone. Saul got up from the ground, but when he opened his eyes, he could see nothing. So they led him by the hand into Damascus, and um, so he he he's led into Damascus. I've already shown you that Damascus is far north of Jerusalem. Saul is probably has probably traveled uh, south. Uh, from Tarsus and is down in the region of Damascus, uh, perhaps, uh, or is traveling north from Jerusalem up to Damascus, but we know he's going to Damascus. Um, In fact, let me back up in the verses. Maybe the text actually tells us. All it says is he neared Damascus on his journey. Um, now, he had been where Stephen was, so wherever Stephen was, which was probably Jerusalem, um, is probably the place that, that Paul's coming from. He's coming north from Jerusalem up to Damascus. He could have been coming south from Tarsus. Just, just, That's how you go back and look at things. What's the text revealed? Does it reveal something? Verse 7 said this, the men traveling with Saul stood there speechless. They heard the sound but did not see anyone. Saul got up from the ground, but when he opened his eyes, he could see nothing because of the bright light that was there. Uh,
2: um,
1: so they led him by the hand into Damascus. For three days he was blind and did not eat or drink anything. I mean, this was a powerful experience that Saul was having so much so that he did not eat, that he did not drink. Uh, And it says, in Damascus, there was a disciple named Ananias. The Lord called to him in a vision. Ananias, yes, Lord, he answered. Now notice, Ananias answered. He was called out to, and he answered. The Lord told him, go to the house of Judas on Straight Street and ask for a man from Tarsus named Saul for his prey. In a vision, he has seen a man named Ananias come and place his hands on him to restore his sight. Lord, Ananias answered, I have heard many reports about this man and all the harm he has done to your saints in Jerusalem. So he was in Jerusalem. And he has come here with authority from the chief priest to arrest all who call on your name. Notice what it says, but the Lord said to Ananias, Go, this man is my chosen instrument to carry my name before the Gentiles and their kings and before the people of Israel. I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. Then Ananias went to the house and entered it, and placing his hands on Saul, he said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus, the Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on the road as you were coming here, has sent me so that you may see again and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Immediately, something like scales fell from Saul's eyes, and he could see again, and he got up and was baptized. Now, you know, I I realized something yesterday, baptism. Um, Oftentimes, especially around the temple and sometimes around uh, synagogues, they had ritual uh, baths place where where people could could bathe themselves for ritual cleansing before entering into the temple in Jerusalem or entering into a synagogue. And so where would people be baptized? They'd be baptized in those baths. There were all kinds of them. And I saw some, especially I think of what I saw in Magdalia, uh, where Mary Magdalene had lived. And seeing those those baths, we also saw some around Jerusalem at the steps, uh, the baths, again, where, where ritual cleansing would take place. He probably went into a place like that for his baptism. Now, there is much to notice here. There is both, um, there is Ananias and his response, what Ananias is uh, is told to do. He was sent Um Paul is told, Saul, he's still called Saul, is told that Ananias will come and place his hands on him, restore his sight. Ananias uh, is skeptical. In verse 13, he says, uh, uh, I've heard many reports about this man, all the harm he's done to the saints in Jerusalem. But then in verse 15, the Lord answers and said, Go, this man is my chosen instrument to carry my name. This this, this is the prevenient will of God, where, where God's will prevailed upon uh upon Saul, Saul responds, Saul is the chosen instrument. We know that Saul will uh, will indeed carry the gospel before the Gentiles. You think of all those up in the region of Turkey and across to Greece then over to Rome, those places where Paul will carry the uh, carry the gospel and he would appear before kings and before the people of Israel. but then in verse sixteen, it also says this, and I will show him.' How much he must suffer for my name. Now, I'm going to be honest. I don't like reading that verse because I don't, you know, I think I don't want to suffer for the name of Jesus. Uh, I don't want to suffer. Most of us would say we don't really want to suffer. However, suffering will be a part of the Christian life suffering, the killing of the flesh, uh, suffering um, because of the name. Remember back to Acts, I think it was the, the fifth chapter, fourth or fifth chapter, the uh, the apostles uh, rejoiced that they were counted worthy to suffer for the name of Christ. Uh, we may have to suffer. Now, again, a false gospel, a false narrative in our day is that if you're following Christ, God is going to keep you from suffering. Friends, that is a false gospel. Right here in this verse, we read about suffering for the name of Jesus. As we follow Jesus, we will suffer. In fact, we live in a place in time where where we will suffer more and more contempt uh, from the world. The world is becoming less and less and less friendly to the gospel. Now, there are people who are responding to the gospel, uh, and there are people who are resisting the gospel, and, and the world is becoming less and less and less friendly the gospel, we may, in fact, like the Apostle Paul, have to suffer for the name of Jesus. Paul wrote about that. We've read about it in uh, Romans chapter 8. Peter writes about suffering in, in his letters. Jesus said that we would suffer persecution and that there would be suffering, but nonetheless take heart, I've overcome the world. So we know that suffering is a part of the equation. Ananias, after confronted by the Lord, went ahead and did exactly what the Lord had told him. It says in verse 17, Ananias went to the house, entered it, placed his hands on Saul and said, Brother Saul, he had been told that um,
2: Saul was a brother.
1: That Saul was a believer, that Saul had been converted, that the the hand of the Lord Jesus was upon him, and that he was a chosen instrument. So, Brother Saul, Jesus, who appeared to you on the road as you were coming here, has sent me that you might see again and be filled with the Holy Spirit. And we know what happens. Immediately, something like scales fell from Saul's eyes, and he could see again. Now, The the narrative continues, after taking some food, he regained his strength, and Saul spent several days with the disciples in Damascus. At once, he began to preach in the synagogues that Jesus is the Son of God. All those who heard him were astonished and asked, isn't this the man who raised havoc in Jerusalem and among all those who call on his name, and hasn't he come here to take them as prisoners? Yet Saul grew more and more powerful and baffled the Jews living in Damascus by proving that Jesus is the Christ. This is Saul proclaiming the gospel, uh, strengthened by Jesus. The, the gospel, all the, all that he knew from all of his Old Testament <clears throat> his Old Testament training his First Testament training, and then his encounter with Jesus, he was absolutely convinced, uh, and and he was able to baffle even the Jews. It's interesting, as you read verse 22, you kind of hearken back to Luke chapter 2. I think it's verse 52, where it says, And Jesus grew in wisdom and stature and favor with God and man. Now, here we see Paul growing more and more powerful uh, in his ability to proclaim The gospel. Now, what is the net effect of this? The net effect of this is the very thing that that we read about. I think it was in verse 17, where it says, After many days had gone by, the Jews conspired to kill him. But Saul learned of their plan, and day and night they kept close watch on the city gates in order to kill him. But his followers took him by night and lowered him in a basket through an opening in the wall. This is in Damascus. And what did he do? He went back to Jerusalem. I'm going to stop there. I'm not going to continue on. We will uh, we we will pick back up from from here tomorrow uh, at verse 26. But to think about how the Lord can get his hands on somebody as he has uh, the apostle Paul here is quite uh, quite quite remarkable. I do see some comments. Uh, true repentance, like Saul, perused change lives. If someone says they're saved, but no change, there uh, weeds among the wheat, or the son of perdition, like. And I, I you know, I'm not going to be that strong yet, uh, because some the fruit will bear its way out. And Jesus said, "You don't pluck up the weeds. Uh, you you leave the weeds among the wheats. The plucking will be for the Lord to do." Jesus says that clearly in a parable. But here's, here's a question for you in, in, in thinking about uh, this, <clears throat> what you're saying. What about your own kids? What about uh, your own family members? Um, sometimes it is easy to, to state theological positions until we put our own, uh, own people in, in those places. Uh, and yet what you're saying very well could be true of them. Uh, could 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 we have among us within our own families our children be sons or daughters of perdition? Uh, could our own children be weeds? Uh, we pray not, but yet this comes rather close to home the, the 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 irresistible grace is grace always irresistible? It's a great term it's a great phrase somebody came up with uh but but is it always irresistible? Uh, now again, if if God has elected that somebody will respond because He has designs for their life, like He did the Apostle Paul, His will will prevail. But what about what about others? I mean, these are things you wrestle with. There, there's theological positions, and then then there's watching things play out uh, in life, and, and you have to bring the two together. How does the theological position come together with with what we see playing out in life. Ultimately, we choose a theological position, but we have to be so careful because we are quick to create theological positions without the full scope of Scripture, and Scripture brings attention to these things. Scripture does bring attention to the sovereignty of God and to the free will of man. And that tension holds things in just as God wants them to be. At least that is my... My take on that, and it's something we really have to wrestle with. Uh, it, it, some would talk about everything that happens is under the sovereignty of God. Okay, so when I sin, is that God's sovereignty? So does that mean that God is uh, at fault for my sin? We we still have uh, human responsibility and human culpability. Yet, nonetheless. The wonderful thing out of this story is the fact that, that God can bring uh, salvation even to the hardest heart. And toward that end, we pray, Lord, it's our prayer that you would draw people to you who do not know you. People whose hearts seem hard against you. Lord, draw them to yourself that they might believe. We pray for our kids, that our kids would, would all be responding to you, would all repent and would live as, as uh what Claire has said, that there would be changed lives in the lives of our kids, the lives of our grandchildren, Lord, the lives of of family members that, that maybe aren't walking with you. Lord, would you draw people to yourself, to a place of full repentance, true conversion, true transformation, that they would live for Jesus. Meantime, Lord, help us to live for Jesus today even in the midst of suffering, help us to live with you and for you and for your glory in Jesus' name, amen. Friends, that's a wrap for today. We'll pick back up in Acts chapter nine tomorrow. Have a great day, everyone.